0: This is the Otaku Nate Show, episode 19, 1919, City Pop, the anime. What is up, anime fans? Otaku Nate here with another installment of the Otaku Nate Show, the anime podcast where we talk about anime that we want to talk about. Joining me this week are two new guest hosts.
1: Thank you, Nate, for inviting me on the show. My name is Dubs, and uh, I like old anime and video games.
2: Nice to be on the show. Thank you. Uh, Hi, I'm Preston McFarlane. Uh, I am uh, a co-host of uh, Rocketto Punchy Podcast, uh, anime pop culture podcast. Uh, I've been recording for four years, and I am a uh, fan of old-school anime and tokusatsu.
0: And this week, we are going to be talking about 1919 a one-shot OAV series based on a manga called 19, try saying 19 that many times in such a short amount of time, by Sho Kitagawa, who has authored a ton of manga that I have never read nor heard of, and it was released in 1990 by Studio Madhouse. More on that date later. The adaptation was directed by Koichi Chigara, who would go on to direct other anime like Tokyo Babylon, both iterations of the OAV, the first episode of Natsuki Crisis, and would later go on to Gonzo to direct Last Exile, Tower of Druaga, Brave Story, and, uh, something that we'll talk about next time. The writer for this was Yuji Kawahara. They have not done much, just Season 2 of The Familiar of Zero, Monochrome Factor, and for all you girls out there loveless so who wants to explain the premise of 1919
2: uh, i'll leave that to you
1: yeah go for it nate
0: <laughs> oh wow okay
2: um <laughs> uh, just, I, I like i like leaving people out to dry and uh that's my color <laughs> my skill this is the calling first, in life
0: this is the first time i've had to explain the story for an anime uh, i'll the, help you out Okay. There isn't, I mean, to, spoilers, there isn't much story
2: there is, 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 uh, as much as a uh, set piece. I agree. So,
1: 1919 is about a 19-year-old student by the name of Kubota, and, um, he is out looking for love, basically. And one night, while he's drinking at a club, I guess the drinking age in Japan, is lower. he, uh, He stumbled upon, I guess, an old love interest back in his school days, Ujisaka. So he's kind of like listening in on the conversation. He learns that, you know, she just broke up with uh, her boyfriend of five years. And uh, from then on, the rest of the uh, OAV is about them coming together and having sort of realistic relationship. But it's kind of muddy because you don't really know what's going to happen next. So it's... Sort of uh, realistic in terms of, I guess, in my experience, how relationships go. But it's a uh, got a really interesting ending that I think uh, everyone should at least watch once.
0: I definitely do think it is something that you should watch once. So with the premise out of the way, where did you guys first hear about 1919? And what were your impressions when you watched it?
2: I remember hearing about it on... I. I Probably in, in, in an old internet forum. And I honestly, this was the first time I sat down and watched it. And it was definitely one of those things where you'd see GIFs of it. Um, I see I see clips from this a lot in like Vaporware videos. And uh, there were a lot of GIFs going around and images being shared. It has a, a very interesting uh, aesthetic. But uh, I th-
1: for me, I have never heard of this anime, nor the mangaka. So this was a completely new experience for me and uh wow
0: (laughs) so uh you haven't heard about the anime until uh you met me eh
1: that is correct nate and i want to thank you for showing me this anime
0: well i actually knew about this anime all the way back in 2007 from of all people justin savakis do either of you know who that is
1: Is he a writer for Anime News Network?
0: Uh, yeah, that is correct. He doesn't write there anymore, but he's a veteran of the industry from Central Park Media, and he's still doing work from Anime Unlimited in the UK, but he's best known as being that guy who works for Discotech Media.
1: Ah, yeah, okay. Yeah, that name rings a bell. Especially Discotech Media.
0: But he used to have this column on Anime News Network called buried treasure and subsequently oh,
2: yeah. yeah yeah i remember buried treasure i think I, that i've definitely probably seen the name before
0: and subsequently its counterpart buried garbage it was a column where he would talk about these old and obscure anime oavs series and one shots that nobody had ever heard of which you know as a fan in the mid to late 2000s certainly intrigued me because this was at a time where there was no real interest in anime that was made before the year of 1995 that was not named Dragon Ball Z, Sailor Moon, or Yu Yu Hakusho. But I remember reading the column, and I don't remember much of what he wrote other than it was incredibly hard to find, and it was never reprinted or remastered. And the quality of the encode that I watched it on speaks volumes. But... I eventually went out of my way to watch it, especially after watching a review from one of the better Anitubers out there, Kaiser Beams, when he did a review of it, which is where I cribbed the subtitle of this episode from, City Pop the Anime. And I gotta say, 1919, really damn good, at least from a production standpoint. I can't really say it's a must watch, but it's definitely a good period marker for where the OAV scene was in the transition from eighty nine to nineteen ninety.
2: Yeah, i I would I would agree with that. It's it's uh it's definitely important historically. But I, I would also agree that it's not. I wouldn't say that it's required viewing in the sense if you're interested in OVAs from the transition of the eighties to the nineties. Uh, this definitely feels like kind of a the final chapter of kind of a series of where OVAs were to where they were going. Uh, This is also right on entering to where uh, the economic bubble pop for Japan was uh, just about to happen. So, financially, OVAs were not going to be of the same quality, or even the anime industry was not going to have the same amount of money that it was having. Um, And you'd see that in not only OVAs, but even television and movies. And this is, it's a nice uh, piece. I would say story, though, is lacking a lot. Um, There's, if you're going in to look for something with character or personality uh, in story, there's not a lot here. And uh, I kind of agree with that.
1: I was wowed by the great animation, the incredibly good music that really went well with the animation. But uh, the story left me wanting a little bit more. It left me wanting so much that I tried to look for the uh, manga online, but to no avail. So, the OVA is all I got. So, so you found two volumes? I only found two translated volumes,
2: and I think it's five
1: or six total.
2: Okay, okay, so yeah, you're you're not not giving you much. Wow. Uh, yeah, no, I will say that it's it's definitely also um, how its presentation with fantastic it has this uh, very 80s music video style uh especially with the first vignette i i honestly looked at it as not much of an ova but just kind of music video vignettes that go into this you know little bits of story in between like we're watching half of an ova that gets cut apart and then we're watching music videos but the music video parts these kind of little vignettes where we have these characters uh a pop songs playing in the background and they're interacting kind of with the environment to match with the pop song always worked really well uh, the first one where they're kind of he's meeting up with his friend main characters meet up with his friends uh their cars passing by they're on kind of uh, tokyo streets and it has this um this panning frame that it's uh the characters are framed in an outline and it's following them as they're walking in the streets and it it looks really good. Like, presentation is definitely a 10 on this. Oh, yeah, I agree. I was entertained.
0: <laughs> and I think that sort of segues into the first talking point that we usually get into when we discuss anime on my podcast, and that is, of course, the animation. And if you are going to remember anything from 1919, it's going to be the animation. Because... You can clearly tell this isn't a high-budget OAV. We're not talking something on the level of Bubblegum Crisis or Gunbuster, but whatever budget they have, they utilize every last bit of yen that they hold. Whatever shortcuts they take, you don't see. There's a lot of panning, a lot of wipes, and they use these little shortcuts as transitions between scenes whenever you watch a movie by satoshi khan he'll often use an object to wipe the frame there's a lot of that going on in this series
2: uh yeah no it it definitely does have that kind of like match cut style that satoshi khan would do i will say the only moment i noticed the budget uh was there's a scene in the bar they're dancing going around and A few scenes before, there's some rotoscope shots that are really nice. They're really quick, but they they look fantastic. But it then cuts to our two main characters dancing. And there are about, like, a couple frames of animation of their movement. it's very choppy at points. And it's just kind of these repeat five frames over and over again. And that was the only time I would say that budget's noticeable. But other than that, like you said, Nate, they hide the limits to their budget very well
0: of course preston you mentioned earlier that it looks like a music video mm-hmm. and, and that's sort of the point of this during the height of the oav boom from 85 to around 92 you'd get these little oavs that may have been light on story but were more about the presentation to showcase what the animators could do when their restraints were released. This is sort of like the trinity of music-based projects by Madhouse, where it was less about the story and more about the presentation. They had Bobby's in Deep or Bobby's Girl in 1985, Rintaro's Take the X-Train in 1987, and you had other projects from around the time that took advantage of the aesthetics of the 80s, like Toei, and California Crisis, and, of course, the almighty Cypher the Video. I really, really like the scene at the club, just because of the atmosphere and the use of its moody, very dark and dim sort of lighting, although a fair warning if you do want to track this down, and lord knows you're gonna have to track this down because it was never released in America, for obvious reasons the quality of the picture is very dark very washed out and it's mostly because this was never remastered or re-released and lord knows where those masters are now
1: i might be in the odd crowd but uh one of the things that stood out to me in particular watching it for the first time was the uh i guess you could call them the intermissions between the different scenes where they would splice Marker illustrations and and uh, like stills between pivotal events in the in the story and that really stood out to me because like I'm really watching what I would think the 80s would be like, especially 80s anime, and um, I'm not particularly sure how other people would take this, but I think it's kind of endearing in a way. Sometimes uh, I felt like the director was trying to describe. A certain emotion with these intermissions, and uh, I think he did a pretty good job because the uh, the music really gels with the intermissions. I think, and that's one particular aspect of the animation that stood out to me.
2: Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. It also reminded me of some of the, some of the stuff I really liked about like Megazone Twenty Three, that where you have like the music it matches the intensity of the moment, or even uh, complements the subtlety of the moment. There's a vignette quality, like I said earlier, that I it it just works for this. All in all, I wouldn't say I'm a fan of this. I'm glad I watched it. I would suggest this as a one-time viewing. This might be someone's favorite anime, I can totally see why. But um this is very much a style over substance OVA. This is this is uh if this is very much uh, a studio showing what they can visually do, uh, like Nate was saying earlier, especially for the era uh, nineteen ninety and the studio being Madhouse, I don't even know if this is particularly one of Madhouse's most memorable OVAs or even one of their best of the decade. It's it's an interesting watch. I I are, are we getting into spoilers uh, with this podcast, or we do we not do that?
0: I'd rather not.
2: So, without getting into spoilers, I just feel that certain stories, certain story beats just fl- uh, fell flat for me.
0: The use of songs and transitions, it's very much a vignette based project, but unlike Cypher the Video, which was just a collection of music videos for the sake of making music videos, it's more along the lines of Interstellar 4 or 5, where the songs they used, or rather, each scene tells a cohesive story. As I said, it's more of a showcase of what the OAV format was capable of in the late 80s, early 90s. But there are plenty of shots in this where you can just pause it and marvel at the aesthetics. The the backgrounds, the lighting, the color palette, and more importantly, just the animation techniques that you don't see anymore. I already mentioned the wipes and all that, but there are several points where they do first-person running scenes, which... You know, you see those nowadays, but they're usually, like, in CGI, or they'll zoom in on a shot drawn in the first-person perspective to try and convey movement.
1: Yeah, I, uh, I'm a big fan of those, too, so...
0: And an animation aesthetic that I really miss, those circular lights that scroll across the screen that are used to simulate city traffic.
1: Ah, uh, yeah, the lens flare?
0: Yeah, the the, 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 uh, streetcar lens flare, let's call it.
1: I wonder if, like, that particular technique was just for anime in the late 80s, early 90s. Because I don't particularly remember seeing it in anime these days that much.
0: You don't see it in anime nowadays. It's very much an 80s, early 90s sort of technique. Uh, One transition, though, that I do want to talk about before we move on to a sound... When our main character, Kubota, is excited that his girlfriend is asking him out on a date, there's a transition where the art style becomes a lot more cartoonish and it looks like something out of Stop Hibari-kun, urasayatsura or Bite Me Chameleon. It doesn't feel out of place for some reason. I don't know why, but I just find that little vignette incredibly memorable. Like, how the OAV completely changes art style. Because the art style in this is a lot more realistic. It's more in line with something like, say, Hajime no Ippo, or the artwork of Naoki Urasawa, than, say, Rumiko Takahashi, or Haruhiko Mikimoto. Uh, It
2: definitely doesn't have that, like, 80s, uh, 90s bubblegum comic book look. Uh, Do we know who the character designer was in in their previous work?
0: I have his name up right here. It is Naoyuki Onda. His other character design credits include the Boys Love OAV Aino Kusabi. He did character designs for Ergo Proxy, Gantz. Oh, okay. Speaking of experimental OAVs, he was the character designer on Toei, which kind of explains why he was hired because Toei came out before 1919. And the most recent thing I think people would know him from, he did character designs for Psychopass. Oh,
2: okay.
1: So this guy has a pretty good history. He's also did some design for the Berserk Golden Age arc movies as well.
2: Okay, yeah, those are fantastic.
0: And he was also animation director on a few Gundam projects as well.
2: Oh, okay, that's my speed. Uh, What Gundam projects?
0: Zeta Gundam, Double Zeta Gundam, Shars Counterattack, Unicorn, and he is chief animation director on Hathaway's flash.
2: Oh wow, so he's on all the good ones. Yeah, that's awesome. I really enjoyed Hathaway. Oh, Sam.
0: Do we have anything more to say about the animation? Uh,
2: I think I think I've said all I need to say.
0: Okay. So, let's move on to the sound and um yeah, I I don't think we have much to say. It's it's city pop.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. it's definitely one of those things where if you know, if you like city pop, you'll you'll love this. I'm sure everyone here likes City Pop for the most part. It's a great soundtrack. It's It's got a really good soundscape. Its use of sound to complement the, like, like we said earlier, the vignette scene transitions is spot on. Uh, I'd say sound is probably the best thing about this.
1: I will have to agree. I didn't know I liked City Pop until I watched this, and I started looking up. Pumi showed you on YouTube. I listened to a little bit of her earlier today, so nice. That's up with me,
2: hey, no, that's great. No, I, I, uh, you know, another convert, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> the first song that you hear on the soundtrack, in terms of sound, less reminiscent of city pop from the late '80s, and more reminiscent of of what is called the Minneapolis sound. Thank you, Todd and the Shadows, for teaching me about this. Um, you know, think Prince, Janet Jackson, Bobby Brown, etc. That's the first track. But most curiously is its inclusion of an early Eurodance song called Boys by Spanish artist <laughs> Sabrina.
2: I actually got a kick out of that scene. I, um, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Eurobeat and I, Initial D kind of ruined me. But um, that, that track was uh, was awesome, and it honestly sounded familiar, too. Like, I feel like I've heard that in something else, or something similar to it.
0: Yeah, it's not the uh, original version, though. It's actually a cover, and if I'm going to be honest, I actually like the cover a little better. The dialed-back Bombast... Of the 1919 version Helps the song a lot more than the original And also I like the woman singing it A lot better than Sabrina No offense to her
1: I'm gonna have to agree with you there Nate I actually had to do a double take. I had to listen to Sabrina's version And then I had to listen to uh, the 80s band version Spoilers The well, called the
0: 80s band. Well the uh, original is at least worth hunting down If only for it's music video Wink wink nudge nudge <laughs>
2: Yeah
0: But the use of music in this, it's more in line with something like Take the X Train. If we're talking about anime that it consists of music videos, each song that is utilized helps to enhance the mood. I already talked about the use of Boys' Summertime Love in the club scene, but more in particular, I am talking about the song that's used when Kubota and Fujisaki are in the love hotel. The song that they use helps capture the sexual tension between these two star-crossed lovers, but it also helps accentuate the anxiety that Kubota is feeling in this moment.
1: From a personal standpoint, like, usually the way that the characters are written, there's nothing too exciting going on, but what, what really made the scene pop out for me is oddly the music so it really does complement what's going on with the screen like you said
0: the soundtrack is probably going to be in low quality but if you can find the soundtrack give it a listen it's phenomenal and one of the best uses of gratuitous licensed music in an anime you'll hear this side of of course the pillows and foodie cootie and of course daft punk's discovery for interstellar four five
2: i would agree with that wholeheartedly yeah
1: all really good uses of music. <laughs> a plus.
0: Yeah, the music was helped along by a guy named Toshiki Kadamatsu, a Japanese singer songwriter who has been active for four decades now. This year he will celebrate his 40th year as a singer songwriter.
1: That's pretty impressive. He seems like a very talented guy.
0: I think that does it for the soundtrack. And I'll go through the voice cast as quickly as I can, because there isn't much to talk about, so this is going to go by quick. Our main hero, Kubota, is voiced by Masaya Onosaka. He's mostly known for being very flamboyant, very goofy, sort of happy-go-lucky characters, at least later on in his career. He is Vash the Stampede from Trigun, Pre-Pre-Prisoner from One Punch Man, Liron in Gurren Lagann, and France in Axis Powers Hetalia. Fujisaki is voiced by the late, great Hiromitsuru. People will only know her nowadays as Bulma in Dragon Ball Z. I first mentioned her all the way back in my second episode when we talked about her as Yoko in The Fantastic Adventures of Yoko Leda. I mentioned Trigun earlier. Hiromitsuru was the voice of Meryl in Trigun, and for people who are fans of the Yakuza games, she was Reina. In the first Yakuza game, Yakuza Kiwami and Yakuza Zero. Kubota's boss, known only as Master, is voiced by Ryusuke Obayashi. You mecha fans will know him as Exidor or Exidol, however you say it, in Macross. Kichi Goto in Patlabor, and Ben Wooder in Zeta Gundam. And Kazuya, Fujisaki's ex, is voiced by Koichi Yamadera. You want to talk about a guy who voices hard-boiled characters? He is Spike Spiegel in Cowboy Bebop. Togasa in ghost in the shell kaji in evangelion akiyama in the yakuza games and this one was a bit of a zinger for me he's the japanese voice of austin powers <laughs> wow <laughs> when i th-
2: when i think spike spiegel i think austin powers like always they're just the parallels in my head
0: oh god yeah. can you imagine austin powers as spike spiegel See ya, Space Cowboy! Yeah! (laughs) Sidebar, but I get fascinated by Japanese seiyu who play certain American counterparts. One that I will never get over is that the late Yasuo Yamada, who was the Japanese voice of Lupin up until his death in 94, was the Japanese voice for both Clint Eastwood and Kermit the Frog. One last voice actor, and I can't get confirmation as to whether or not he was in this, One of Kubota's friends is voiced by somebody. You'd think that this was voiced by a voice actor who was big in the 80s and the 90s, but hasn't really done much since. But it was really Dio! As 1919, and I can't confirm this or not, features an early role for Takahito Koyasu. Oh, wow. Okay. And this was just as he was breaking in to the anime world. His first major character, if you can believe this, and I looked this up on his Wikipedia page, the role that really broke him into the mainstream, he was Snufkin in the 1990 adaptation of The Moomin.
1: Oh, okay.
0: (laughs) From humble beginnings. So I guess we should get on to the characters and story, and really, there's not much we can talk about, because with 1919... You're going to be watching first and foremost for the animation and the City Pop soundtrack. The story and characters come later, but you get a basic outline as to what this is about. Because 1919, I don't want to say it's a coming-of-age kind of story, because usually coming-of-age means characters facing adulthood and coming into the adult world. 1919, when you break it down, is about a guy trying to lose his V-card an incel
2: love story. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point
0: putting it. <laughs> an incel love story.
2: Uh, uh, it's, a, it's just a dude who's just trying to trying to bang a chick and uh, being real finicky about it. Yeah. He's he's very reserved. He's very polite. Not like a 100% nice guy, but he's oh, borderline. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I, I would say um, this definitely reflects a mentality a lot of a lot of 80s movies and cinema and you know, 80s like storytelling in general. Uh, when it came to love stories, there were there's a lot of um, of the time toxic masculinity. And there's a little bit in this without getting too much spoilers. I would say it, it's viewpoint on sexuality and relationships in general is a little dated at points, not even a little it's dated. Um, It's probably the one thing I have the biggest problem with watching it. Uh, It was the one thing that frustrated me the most with its storytelling was it's very old hat about uh, its attitude towards certain, certain things, especially in relationships. And it's very two dimensional in how it approaches it.
0: The way I describe it, and you can disagree with me for this. It feels like it's a more mature, mature in tone at least. We're not talking about, by mature I mean more explicit. I mean mature as in its presentation. It's a more mature version of Yamada's First Time, which I reviewed a while back. But whereas in Yamada's First Time, the titular Yamada is this hot-blooded, determined girl who wants to sleep with a hundred men, but doesn't know the first thing about relationships or trying to have sex with guys... Kubota, in this case, is merely just a mild-mannered 19-year-old boy who's kind of pressured into getting into a relationship with Fujisaki by his peers. Because, you know, up oh, you gotta lose your V-card before you turn 20. And having somebody who lived in a locker room with a bunch of JV hockey players in high school, I don't like that mentality.
2: Oh, i definitely say the friends are not uh, characters that are admirable in the slightest. I would honestly, I I think I have the opposite view though. I think Yamada has a much more mature look at sexuality and relationships. Yes, Yamada is immature and how she goes about it is immature, but I think the show and its narrative has a lot more nuanced things to say about sexuality and relationships and being in a relationship at a young age. I don't know if I necessarily think that this does. I, I do agree it is a mature, more mature look at relationships than i would say most ovas of the 80s were you know a lot of them were very much you know star-crossed lovers and it's very romantic and over the top sometimes flamboyant in how it presents a relationship but um this was a much more like you said down to earth approach i don't know if it nailed it for me i I would say personally no it didn't nail it for me but how would you how would you feel about dubs I feel a bit from my
1: own personal experience not to get too deep but I felt I sympathized a bit with Kobota and being in those certain situations where it's really difficult to carry out anything really and uh the story to me I felt like if given a bit more time to develop the characters Or draw some more from the manga. I think it would have been a little bit more compelling. Near the end, it definitely I was wondering if there was more to it. That's why I looked out for the manga. But overall, you know, it's the characters weren't that endearing to me. I wasn't like fretting whether or not Kaboto would find the woman of his dreams or, you know, there would be some kind of resolution. I think that was purposely left out. But uh just like Nate said, this was this was all about the presentation,
2: and you could tell that the story was kind of put on the back burner. And I, I'm curious how much this adapts from the manga, like how far in the manga it goes. Uh, do we have any information that, that like, what's... I mean, are, if, from the two... Did you read the two volumes, by chance? I was able to read the first volume,
1: and um, it it's not... Exactly one-to-one, like uh, how uh-huh. Boto meets Fujisaka is a, under a, a bit different. They're, it's less romantic. It's more like, oh, hi, Kabuta, I haven't seen you since high school. Oh, hi, Fujisaki. Oh, Kabuta, you're taller. They just like carry on a very casual conversation the first time they see each other. But uh, there's some peak moments in the anime that the uh, that's taken from the manga. It's not, like, 100% faithful to the source, but I think the director was trying to evoke a certain mood that that the manga didn't really necessarily follow, so props to him.
0: Like, my defense of Kubota is that he at least tries to be the better man in this relationship. You know, he's anxious to lose his V-card, obviously, but, you know, he tries to present himself in a way that comes off as being honest and sincere. Like we see him baking a cake for Fujisaki and talking about their childhood and all that stuff. It at least comes off as being sincere. We're not talking like the sort of Sean Mendez treat you better relationship where he's like, you know, oh, well, why are you with that guy, that abusive asshole? You should be with me instead. Cause I know I can treat you better.
2: Ben! oh yeah can <laughs> i <laughs> um no i I'm, i definitely don't think he's that type of character honestly my problems with the character stem into spoilers and I can't really go further into that without spoiling this and i I, I don't really particularly want to uh spoil this for someone but um it, he's definitely not that character I just think that there there are just certain things about the ending that irked me Again, just, I can't go further than that.
1: Uh, yeah, I definitely agree with you. As far as characters in the OVA that I'm not really sure added much. I'm not even detracted from the mood. Like, uh, Kubota's boss, who keeps on grabbing his cheeks. I mean, like, that was kind of weird. Out of place, almost.
0: Yeah, we forgot to talk about Kubota's boss.
2: Yes, man. Uh. Yes, man. <laughs> <laughs>
0: He likes to love him, he loves to kick him, he loves to shove him, he loves to stick him. And the few times we see him in this, he's grabbing Kubota's ass. He may as well change his name to Ass Ketchum.
1: Yeah, like, that particular character, like, I'm not really sure, like, what's his
2: place in the OVA or his inclusion at all. Oh, I was just gonna say, I feel like he's definitely... He feels in place in the sense that I can think of a few OVAs and definitely anime of the time where you have that one character that's just kind of like the odd one, you know? And it, it doesn't necessarily have to be, like, sexual in nature or even, like, pervy, but he's not there beyond a gag. His whole character exists for a single gag, and that's kind of it. Uh, th- like, uh, oh my gosh, I'm trying to blanket on the name, but it was that character in Ranma where, like... Just a panny thief. That's the character, that's all they do.
0: I get you yeah. I think you're thinking of Hyoga. The analogy I'd make is that he's the gay guy from Airplane.
2: The 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 Leslie Nielsen movie?
0: Yeah, 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 you know the guy. The aircraft Uh-oh. the airplane is getting closer. And Layla's getting larger.
2: I don't remember that movie that well, honestly. I think I saw <laughs> Naked Gun far more than I saw Airplane.
0: Yeah, he's there, but I remember the gay guy from Airplane for all the right reasons. Kubota's boss is memorable for, you know, kind of the wrong reasons, unfortunately. And honestly, were it not for the homoerotic humor, I feel that he you could have excised him and it wouldn't change much.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. One character that I feel like that could probably be elaborated more is the ex-boyfriend. Like, you hear about the ex-boyfriend. Uh, but do you really see him much i mean is there much to tell about his character besides what he shows i feel like there could be a little bit more but that's just me
0: yeah we won't really talk about him because it kind of spoils the ending and we're, as middle of the road as this anime is story wise i kind of don't want to spoil the ending but it ends on a Kind of bittersweet note that I have mixed emotions about, but it's more positive than negative. I definitely see what they were going for. Unfortunately, though, because as you said, this is an adaptation of a six-volume manga series, it feels like they adapted the first two volumes and then just left the rest to your imagination. And because the manga is not available online to a wider audience, we'll never really get to see the conclusion to this. As I said earlier when we were talking off the record, It's very much a Shinesman situation where a few chapters of the manga are available online and I'd like to see more because I really love me some Shinesman, especially that amazing English dub. But because of the nature of scanlations, we probably aren't going to get the rest of it.
2: It's really unfortunate because I I would definitely like to read more of the story. It feels like there's something interesting here if I got the full picture. And I think if I'd spent more time with these characters, I would have had more of an emotional attachment. And I I tried to think about it earlier. I was kind of thinking about like how, if this was less music video and more story, if I would have had more of a positive feeling about characters at the end. And it'd be interesting to just see what the rest of the story, for that matter, a more fleshed out, more fleshed out version.
1: I agree, and uh, I probably will spend way too much time trying to hunt down these volumes for, for, just for a casual view. But I'm now that you know we're talking about, it, I'm kind of interested to see what's going on. So I'll yeah. put that in my back pocket for later.
0: On its own, though, I do think that 1919 is a very interesting time capsule as to where anime was at the turn of the decade between the 80s. And the 90s. And I think that's my final thoughts on it. It's a very interesting time capsule. From a time when anime was a lot more... And I really hate to come off as a boomer. Saying like, "Ah, anime was so much better back in my day. But you don't see things like 1919 anymore. Like you will see music videos for Japanese artists. That have anime in them. But you don't see showcases for anime over music anymore. Like The last thing to do this, I think, was Interstellar 4-5. After that, you don't see that level of experimentation anymore. And it's not to say that there's no experimental anime being made. I mean, you still have Science Saru and Misaki Iwasa, but I I just feel that modern anime is too safe from an animation perspective. And I think the death of the OAV just sort of stuck a nail in that heart. But... I think 1919 will give you a good idea as to what the OAV scene was all about. But in terms of its quality, I'd say you'd go into it with the same expectations you would going into a project like Dalos. Dalos, for historical perspective, is a very important entry in the canon of anime as it was the first proper OAV. But in terms of its quality, it's just kind of Okay. Not the best OAV, not the worst, but it's worth watching just to see the birth of a whole new format for anime, and that's kind of how I feel about 1919. It's not the best from a story or character perspective, but it's definitely worth watching as a time capsule of Japan's most prosperous period from the 80s into the early 90s, before 1992 when the asset bubble crashed and the lost decade ensued. So thanks for that, Bank of Japan
2: i'll definitely echo uh what you're saying there nate um it is definitely a important for historical context it's definitely important in like history of ovas and the where japan was financially at the time where japan was you know socio-economically and this reflects a part of japan that we won't see again in animation And it's important in that sense, like my grumblings about the story aside, even though it is, I I really believe a style over substance OVA, it's worth watching. And if you're into city pop music, this is going to be your vibe.
1: And I'm going to piggyback on Preston saying, yes, if you like city pop, watch this and look up the OST. Um, As far as what we've pretty much talked about, like, yeah, I feel like uh, this is really my first time actually going out of my way to watch something from this particular era. And with the shortcomings of the story, I can forgive it because for the first viewing, I thought it was very pleasant. I might watch it again, but just for certain parts, I think being able to appreciate 1919, it's, it's a joy. That's all I could say, pretty much.
0: And with all that said, I think that's pretty much a wrap on 1919. While I wouldn't say it's a must-watch OAV, it's definitely a fun little time capsule of a much happier, more optimistic period for both Japan and the rest of the world economy. If you want to track it down, unfortunately it is not available in America, and because of music licensing snafu, what with the use of that song, Boys, it probably never will be available in America, but it's readily available online. Just hope that somebody does one of those really nice uh, AI remasters like what Discotech did with Memories. And hey, if you're to watch it for anything, just watch it for that fun experimental animation and that boppin' City Pop soundtrack. And with that, let's wrap up 1919 and get ready for the 20th episode. And boy, is it gonna be a big one. Because for my next episode... Actually, for the next two episodes, I'm undertaking a big project. Because, for episodes 20 and 21, get ready for my first ever two-part episode as we're taking a look at the anime that turned me into the elitist anime shitlord that I am today. I'm, of course, talking about full metal panic. We will be reviewing all of the series, at least for its anime adaptations. We'll be talking about the original series, Fumofu, The Second Raid, and Invisible Victory, as well as a little sidebar on the light novels that it was adapted from, a little bit of the manga, and some other stuff related to it. But that's gonna do it for this show. Do you guys have anything to plug?
2: Uh, yes. Um, as I mentioned er- earlier, I'm Preston McFarland. Uh, I am a co-host on Rocketto Punchy Podcast. Uh, we are a pop culture podcast. It's been doing uh, recording for about four or five years now. Uh, we started out as an anime podcast. The other hosts are Bella, Laura Blondo, and Russell Alterman. Uh, we just wrapped up recording a five-part podcast about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles franchise. Uh, We're now working on doing episodes on the upcoming Space Jam sequel and the American tokusatsu run of the 90s uh, from Haim Saban.
1: Uh, I've got no plugs, but uh, I just want to thank you, Nate, and it's been a pleasure, Preston.
0: And thank you, Dubs and Preston, for being on this show.
2: It was a pleasure.
0: And as always, if you like the podcast... Please be sure to subscribe to us and give us some likes on places like SoundCloud, Spotify, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and your favorite pod-catching software or pod-sharing platform. So until then, this is Otaku Nate. Sign off, guys.
2: (laughs) Preston McFarlane. Dubs.
0: And we're signing off and saying... Boys boys boys. Dun, dun, dun. boys, boys, boys. Boys, boys, du, 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 du. boys. Boys, oh, boys, boys. Boys, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> boys. God, I love me some Eurobeat.
2: Just need to be in a crappy Japanese car and drift now. <laughs> yeah, here we go. <laughs> Take out my 86 now.
0: I actually captured this, <laughs> so I'm using it as a stinger.